I'm Kate Daniels. Self-care is really key in our lives in general. At this time, it is even more critical and really an advanced critical for those in healthcare. To the rescue, two medical professionals who wrote the book Thriving in Healthcare, a positive approach to reclaim balance and avoid burnout in your busy life. Dr. Gary Simmons joins us now. Dr. Gary Simons, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Well, thank you for very much for having me with you. I really appreciate you and the work that you have done, are doing, and that really just wanting to be the best support you can be in your chosen career field in medicine, in healthcare, that you, uh, a year ago, had this book come out, Thriving in Healthcare, which, of course, was very important at that time. But isn't it something that now it's even that much more important because we've got so much pressure uh, on all of us, and certainly those who are working in healthcare are especially more pressured, I think. Uh, yes, I mean it's an unprecedented t- time. We are really uh, going through a journey together uh, that uh, there really is nothing like it in our uh, recent history and recent being in the last hundred years or so. So uh, yeah, it's it's very unprecedented uh, and uh, ladling on challenge after challenge on top of a a very challenging field in general. I think perhaps within the last hundred years, what might come somewhat close to what we're facing could be wartime, probably more in a battlefield, uh, but in cities too that were affected directly by the impacts of bombing and and all that kind of fighting. Uh, And of course, there are cities and countries across the globe that still encounter that. But and I think now, though, all of us, the entire planet, is engaged in something very similar to that. Yeah, I think you're making some uh, very interesting points. Uh, uh, my, as a matter of fact, my my mother, who was uh, born in Scotland and was uh, British, obviously uh, lived through World War II as a uh, older teenager and young woman. And uh, was subjected to uh, the Blitz and and multiple bombing runs. She actually lost a fiance to the war. And um, uh, I've often made the comparison of of times like this to what they went through in in World War II. But there is a there is a major difference um, here that I think is quite stark, and and we should bear in mind and. And that is we there in those times, people could congregate, they could hold each other, they could talk Mm -hmm. to each other, they could be with each other. They, you know, they they could be meet in groups. They could uh, unload their their worries, their stresses, their tragedies with each other. And in this situation, we are being told and rightfully so that we have to keep our distance, that we can't touch each other, that. Uh, you know, if we're going to comfort each other, it's going to be at a distance. It's going to be with masks on or it's going to be over a Zoom or, or some other platform on our computers. And I think that really it creates quite a very stressful dynamic uh, on top of all the other stressors that, that are involved in this pandemic. 
Right. And that, at least those of us who are able to really think about it, have that awareness and can grapple with it. And I say this in the context of my father-in-law passing away a couple of months ago. He was suffering from Parkinson's dementia. And really, I I don't feel understood the reason for the distancing. I, I feel he probably felt abandoned. I think of others similar in similar situations must feel abandoned and they just give up. Whereas, you know, under other circumstances would be able to continue and have a, a good life for, for some months or years. But I, in this way, too, those who are more vulnerable, I think, are even uh, more deeply, devastatingly affected. Yeah, I, uh, excellent point. And uh, I'm sorry for your loss. And I think it is horrific potentially for patients uh, who are going through very serious illnesses and and even going on to die without their families around. And if you reverse that concept, think of the caregivers watching this uh, go on and think of what the caregivers have to kind of up their game uh, to to provide the support, the solace, the kindness, the warmth, the uh, reassurance uh, that the families traditionally would have been able to deliver to the patients. So, so the caregivers are not only uh, administering the care and uh, doing their best uh, and being overworked and all that, but I think you know they are having to provide the emotional support that uh, at one time the families uh, would be available to at least assist with. And, you know, and therefore are emptying their tanks uh, all the more than usual uh, because of this, this very bizarre situation. And that they are right there witnessing it. That itself has such a burden, I believe. And, and uh, you compound that with maybe being short-staffed for various reasons and, and then having on top of it have using the PPEs and or maybe not having adequate supplies there's just an inordinate amount of stress piling on yes i i mean, I mean the the list uh, just goes on and on and and i can tell you that um uh from my experience in my career in neurosurgery um, you think you get used to death and dying, and you think you get used to tragedy and uh, and mayhem, if you will. You you think you get used to it, but the reality is it's always logging in on your your own central data banks. It, it, no no person is immune to uh, all this, and yet. It, Typical healthcare providers at every level, and I'm I'm not just talking doctors. I'm talking uh, the nurses, the techs, the therapists, everybody involved, the the um, the janitors, the food assistants, people. Um, you know, they're surrounded right now by this this situation of of a lot of uh, death and tragedy, and and they by nature will forward on. They will push through, even if they're understaffed, even if they're overworked and tired, they will push through and they will tell themselves that I'm doing fine. You know, this, this can't get through. I'm tougher than this. But the reality is it's all logging in and it all takes an effect uh, at one level or another. 
And then you put on, as you say, you just so many different layers uh, where your interactions are through PPE materials and uh, and and you have your own personal risk. You know, am I going to yes. catch it? Am I going to get sick or die? Am I going to bring it home to my family? Is my job still going to be here? And you, you look at the news and you're going, why aren't people doing things? And when will this ever end? Is it, you know, is, is it ever going to end or is, is there an end point? And then your usual escape valves when you get out of work. You know, I, I like to go to a restaurant and have a, you know, have a little meal with my wife. Well, that's gone. Uh, you know, getting together with your best friends is gone. Um, so I, I think uh, on so many levels, uh, it, it has a way of undermining people's uh, emotional stability and psychological strengths. And a lot of times uh, they, they just don't know it. They, they are just putting it away and, and fording on. And to the rescue, if I can phrase it in that way, but really to have sort of a parachute in the midst of this to help us along. I think this could be for anyone, but you, of course, were writing the book Thriving in Healthcare really toward health professionals. And you have some really good, very basic, if you will, but ideas of something that we it's so easy to forget and lose sight of. But here in Thriving in Healthcare, we can find some support and some direction and encouragement, right? Uh, that's what we're hoping for sure. It's, uh, it's interesting when we, um, I, I, your comments said it could be uh, applied to anybody. It doesn't, it certainly doesn't have to be within the healthcare realm. But uh, we, we've actually written, Wayne Sotil and I have written three books together. The first was specifically about uh, burnout and resilience and neurosurgeons. And people said, well, it's, it's a very good book, but, you know, it, you don't think that other doctors get this. So why, why did you just uh, write it for neurosurgeons? And, and well, that's because I'm a neurosurgeon. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so we wrote the second book for all physicians and people came to us and said, uh, well, you know, you don't think nurses, you don't think therapists, you don't think techs get burned out. Why, why did you do that? So we wrote the third book for, for everybody in healthcare. And now people are telling us, well, why just people in healthcare? But <laughs> you got to be careful about overgeneralizing yes. uh, these things. But I think another comment you made has been one of the critiques, and, and I'm going to defend it up front. And that is some people say, well, this is just simple stuff. You're just talking very common sense uh, maneuvers to help yourself. And, and we say, yes, precisely that. And, and the problem is, is that uh, people in healthcare, and I guarantee people in any business, be it small or major, uh, you know, major companies, they're so used to focusing on the task at hand that they forget about their own uh, health and uh, their own well-being. And so what we're trying to do is simply steer their focus at least some of the time back onto themselves to take care of themselves as they're taking care of their patients or as they're taking care of the job at hand if you're not in healthcare. Um, and I think this is harder to do than it sounds. I think it uh, 
it takes some upfront energy and a lot of times that energy isn't there. So you, you know, you have to make yourself, you have to say, no, wait a minute, I'm going to focus on myself for a little while and, and get this figured out before, you know, before I blow my lid or before, uh, you know, I lose it. And uh, I don't think that's particularly easy. So the more complicated you make it, the, the harder it becomes for people because it takes more energy. Whereas, you know, simple steps, simple ways of framing things and uh, approaching things we feel carries a lot more potential for somebody to, to see it through, to do it, uh, rather than just say, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And one of the things that we point out, because we get, you know, we give talks on this all the time, and uh, and people will come to us after the talks and they'll say, oh, my goodness, you know, I never realized this. I, I know I, this is what I have to do. It's almost like they have an epiphany, but we don't believe epiphanies exist in this, in this front. I think what happens is they get all inspired. And then when they submerge back into the work world, uh, all that gets lost and, and they, you know, go back to uh, their ways of completely, uh, devoting themselves to the, the task at hand and forgetting themselves. So, yes, we believe in keeping it in simple, uh, in, in bite-sized uh, portions so that people can take little pieces and apply it to themselves and see if, if it helps alleviate some of the stressors. And one thing that I would add to that would be there's a sense of giving permission. I think there's probably that big danger in healthcare of wanting to do a lot of sacrificing to help and and not doing it for oneself. So you, you you're giving permission. You have to take care of yourself. Remember that, and and then go forward. You can take care of others. Maybe even that much better. Yeah, I couldn't say it better. I I think that's exactly what we're calling for. Is is give oneself permission for self-care or what we call self-compassion because we're just so oriented to delivering and and particularly in these times where even the families aren't available and and uh, you you know you it is hard to walk past somebody who's in distress and and not uh, give of yourself and and in the current setting people are in distress everywhere and so it becomes so hard uh, to take a few minutes and focus on oneself. In fact, there's a lot of guilt that, that goes along with that. And one of our phrases is no guilt. Uh, you, you know, there should never be guilt in refocusing sometimes on oneself and on one's own health. And there is good evidence out there that in units where there are high uh, burnout rates, uh, for example, the outcomes are worse, the patient outcomes. So you know, the worse you are, the worse care you're going to give to your, your patient. So if you, need, if you need a way to alleviate the guilt, it's to say, I will take better care of my patients. The healthier I am, the more you know, my well-being is in gear. And there are some of these, we'll call them simple, but they might be challenging steps to take. Some of them maybe feel a little more challenging during this time because we are needing to have this personal distancing. But I think it's possible to make it happen. And I'm looking at one of the the first steps of debriefing um, the effects of what's going on in your daily work that helps to maybe take it from inside and at least you know, kind of like vent or not 
or at least share it so the burden's lightened. And we can do that by, even in a distant situation, we can meet and be six to eight feet apart and either talk with our masks or move a little further apart and take the mask down. Yes, absolutely. I mean, a, a couple of our uh, major uh, calling points where, where we, we stress very heavy is one of the things that happens in times of stress and, and in this case, persistent stress, is we, we tend to um, narrow down our sphere of, of trusted people, of friends, or even our family. We, we tend to isolate ourselves, and we think it's really important to stay connected on multiple levels, your trusted coworkers, your family, your friends, uh, even if it means at a distance or through a Zoom call or whatever, but uh, we think that's critical, and and uh, it can your your network of uh, close connections can therefore uh, uh, become involved in things such as debriefing stressors. And when we say debriefing stressors, we don't necessarily mean just going through the the minute details of everything that bad that happened during the day. What we really are interested in, what what we want people really to kind of get out and and explore with each other is how they responded to these stressors. Oh, you know, I, I, I saw a gentleman uh, die today uh, from COVID and his family wasn't there and, and you know, um, and cried and, and uh, uh, missed his family so badly. And this just tore my heart out. And I thought of my own family and I thought of how uh, wretched it would be for any one of them to be in a sim similar situation. So anyway, to explore how you reacted and maybe ways to alleviate some of the pain of that situation, but just getting it out on the table will go a long way uh, to alleviating the, the feelings about it. But we would also say that every, along with debriefing stressors, a critical factor is, uh, and particularly with each other, is to celebrate victories, to, to do something what we call harvesting uplift, because uplifts are going on all the time. There are, you know, brief periods of, of real humanity that, uh, that is going on. There are victories over the disease and other diseases. There are, there are, there are patients thanking you. There are uh, colleagues saying, wow, you know, you, you went the extra mile for somebody. Thank you. Um, and, and these are happening all the time, but we tend to forget them. And we tend to focus on, you know, on the hard stuff. And I think it's important to notice them and we recommend that people even write them down. And, and when you're with your colleagues uh, or your family or your friends, say, hey, something really amazing happened today. Let me tell you a little, little about it and really celebrate that stuff. And, and, and there's good evidence, again, that if you counter the stressors with uplift, uh, you will be much more functional and much more uh, emotionally uh, uh, on the upswing. Such great points. And, and as you say, people might have said, well, that's common sense. But sadly, we don't always keep our common sense around us. And we have to be reminded to do these simple but very productive life-giving pieces of our life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you... 
you know, these are two very wonderful pieces of it. Um, of course, self-care in terms of just nutrition, good health, even though we're talking about medical personnel, uh, don't always necessarily practice all the good health techniques, right? Uh, yes, uh, that's a critical point. And uh, as a matter of fact, there's even a kind of a phenomena that can go on. Uh, I've certainly experienced it myself uh, in my world of neurosurgery, but and see it in my colleagues uh, all too often. Uh, but in situations particularly like this, I think it becomes a, a real potential danger. And that is um, you, you go through cycles, days, weeks, maybe months of self-denial where you, you just throw everything you have uh, into, the, into the problem, into the work uh, situation. But you finally get to a point where, you know, you may be away from it for a while. And there's a real risk of going into from shifting from self-denial into overindulgence. And that is, uh, you know, the common refrain would be, yeah, I've you know, I've done all this work. I owe myself this. And it can be in any in any direction. It can be in uh, I just want to laze around on, on the couch for four straight days playing video games. I'm or I'm going to eat myself to death. I'm going I'm to eat nothing but donuts for the next three days. Uh, but it can be darker. It can be, you know, I'm, I'm going to sedate myself, uh, you know, with opioids or I'm going to sedate myself with alcohol. Uh, or I'm just going to go out and, you know, uh, blow all my earnings on uh, on gambling or on on buying unnecessary things. So it, it, it can shift to very unhealthy habits, um, uh, particularly because of all the self-denial that went on. And so, yes, we very much uh, advocate uh, keeping uh, trying to stay healthy, trying to keep a, a, a sensible exercise and eating regimen. Um, in reminding oneself that you don't have to overindulge you you can you can partake in some of uh, the, the more um, uh, stress alleviating activities but don't go overboard in any way even exercise you know you can you can, you can fetishize it eventually and, and go too hard into it so uh, just to keep that in mind as as uh, one gets released from the uh, stressors of their work environment. And and part of that uh, relates to another point about uh, our thoughts, what we're thinking and how we think about those sorts of things and really guarding against it, really being able to, to balance that and finding a way to, maybe it's through reading, through prayer, through meditation, through walking, that we're able to maybe uh, form that or fashion that so it's uh, healthier for us. Yeah, I, fantastic point. If if you think about our environment right now, you go from whatever you're doing, which almost for everybody in the in the society right now is super stressful. I mean, this again, it's not contained to healthcare, uh, but but for everybody, you go home and probably reflexively you you turn on the TV and the news is barking just crazy stuff at you all the time and and all of a sudden your mind is churning over and over again oh my my goodness you know we're we're at the level of the apocalypse we 
you know, we, we better store up on, on toilet paper and shotgun shells. Um, and uh, your, your body shifts into, into overdrive, into, uh, in, in, the neuro, in the neuroscience world, we talk about it shifts into the sympathetic nervous system, your fight or flight response. The heart squeezes harder. The muscles are, are tense and, uh, and you keep and you are, are, you're on alert for horrible things because you're, you're going to fight it or you're going to run from it. And what we need to do really is shift into the parasympathetic world, the calming world, the, the soothing world. And it starts with, with uh, realizing that it may not be quite where your, your brain is, is telling you it is. It might not quite be as bad as it sounds. Try to shift the storytelling in your mind to, to calmer, happier things. Practice what we call realistic optimism. And that is, no, we're not going to be a Pollyanna and say, oh, the, the, the uh, pandemic will be over tomorrow. But, but we do have brilliant people by these thousands working on it night and day. Uh, we, we live in an amazing time of technology. I mean, they learned about the virus DNA structure in, you know, in a matter of hours, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, people across the globe are working on, on vaccines and stuff like that. So it's okay to anticipate a better tomorrow, that things are going to get better, that we will get a handle on this, that, that, that we are likely going to be safe and sound from this. And, uh, so telling yourself stories about the situation, um, you have to be real careful of the negativity creeping in. And one of the first things I say is turn off the TV because that, that seems to be really fueling that fire right now. And be careful of what you see on Facebook and, and, and any of the other social media. And start telling yourself uh, the good things and remembering the good things. And as I said before, soak up the humanity that you see. And you see it. It doesn't have to be in the hospital. You see it everywhere. You see people... Uh, making meals for the for those who can't. You see people making masks and giving them out for free. I mean, there's just humanity going on all the time in the face uh, of this of this pandemic. And going back to that World War II analogy, uh, it's interesting. But but a lot of people look on hard times like this uh, eventually as times when they were most alive, most experiencing the world around them the most they felt connected to others and lifelong friendships and and respect is is gained for each uh, from each other during times like this uh so i you know there is much good to be had and and uh we certainly recommend trying to get one's mind onto that rather than onto oh you know the the, the ultimate disaster is right around the corner. Because our thoughts are very powerful that way. We, I think if we wanted to experiment with it, but I don't want to experiment with a lot of negative thoughts. So uh, I, I don't. But I, th- I think we, um, we need to realize that we do have choice. Even in hard times, how we choose to go about our life really makes a difference. And you're giving us some very 
really very concrete and simple steps that any of us, and and certainly those in healthcare, because I I think that that uh, any of the first responders are so much on the front lines, having to deal with so much more that than most of us are, I think. Yeah, but I think uh, I, I think one of the solaces, uh, yes, people on the front lines, uh, they are getting it full full force. Uh, you know, the fire hose is turned on. Uh, but I think um, uh, one of the things that's important for everybody to recognize is that none of us are facing this alone. Uh, and I, I think that's e- an easy trap to fall into, uh, and, and recognize that um, recognize that we are all in this together. Yes. And uh, you know, the more united we are, and the more we're looking at after each other, uh, the better everybody's going to fare. But frankly, the better we're going to feel too, um, if we can shift that focus away from just us. Now that sounds counter uh, to my first <laughs> my first uh, recommendation, and that is you have to focus on yourself uh, to a certain degree. But but one way to do that is to do it in allegiance with others, and uh, and others are going through very similar things, uh, and each each person's story in a crisis is going to is going to be a real story and is going to be a real experience. And so uh, I think the more united we do this and the more united we look after ourselves, uh, the better we'll come out. So so true. I. Truly uh, am grateful for your words of wisdom. That, and, of course, Dr. Simmons, for spending time with us this morning, and not the least of which, we can continue learning. You have this wonderful book, Thriving in Healthcare, which is for our healthcare friends, healthcare worker friends, but certainly for all of us as well, as we've said. So thank you so greatly for who you are and all that you are doing. Well, I am certainly most grateful for the time and the uh, wonderful questions and thought-provoking questions, uh, and I hope people get a lot out of it. And I'm right with you on that. Thank you.